before I start the talk, I wanted to uh, read something that, you know, when we talk about not having a lot of humor, so I wanted to add a little to this, and maybe you can relate to this. It's a poem that a friend sent to me on Facebook by Ted Weinstein, and it's called Ways I Have Been a Bad Meditator. <laughs> Ways I Have Been a Bad Meditator. I have swallowed repeatedly. <laughs> I have thought about eating a piece of dark chocolate. I have moved my leg because I couldn't endure the pain in my knee. I have wondered whether I left the oven on. <laughs> I have tried to slow my breathing. I have looked at my watch before the meditation bell rang. I have thought about whether to register for a retreat this coming summer. I have thought about kissing the woman sitting on the cushion to my left. I have thought about shushing the heavy breathing man on the cushion to my right. I have wanted the teacher to notice how well I am meditating. I have wondered how the teacher can really meditate while constantly checking if it's time to ring the bell. I wonder that too. <laughs> I've missed my old girlfriend. I have remembered why I broke up with my old girlfriend. <laughs> I have thought I couldn't date anyone who isn't a meditator. <laughs> I have listened to the sound of the rain. I have worried if I closed the windows of my car. I have wondered if living in the moment means I don't have to put money in a retirement account. <laughs> I have imagined going to Stockholm to accept the Nobel Prize in meditation. <laughs> I have thought about how my goddaughter laughs when I turn her upside down. I have wanted this feeling of joy to continue. I have focused on the rising and falling of my stomach while breathing, while breathing, when I was trying to focus on the sensation of my breath going in and out of my nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> I have decided meditation retreats are a waste of time. <laughs> I have wanted to ring the bell at the end of the group sitting. <laughs> I have opened my eyes to look if the teacher's eyes are open. I have been annoyed at the bird outside that wouldn't stop cawing. I have wondered whether it's time to buy a new meditation cushion. I have thought about making items up for this list. I have wondered if I could ever complete this list. I've decided I will never achieve enlightenment. I've told myself I am a bad meditator. <laughs> so. If you've decided you will never achieve enlightenment, maybe this talk is for you. <laughs> so the first thing to ask yourself is, um, why are you here? Why are you here? We're not just here to learn to eat our cereal slowly. <laughs> sure, we, we learn how to do that here, but it, this isn't the complete point of practice, and you know that. We're not even here to become really good observers. A Tibetan teacher once said, you people in Vipassana, you get to be really good observers, but this is not the only thing. 
So why are you really here? Is it to know the deepest truth possible? Is it to have the highest aspiration that this path can bring you? Why not? When I first uh, did a retreat in this hall, a three-month retreat, um, I'm kind of, my aspiration has always been the highest. And um, so when I came here, like a good consumer, I raised my hand in the first question and answer period, and I asked Joseph, look, I want to know, has anyone ever gotten enlightened on a three-month retreat? Because if they haven't, I'm going to leave now. (laughs) I wanted to know. I wanted to know it was possible. I wanted to know, did this practice really do what it said? Did it work? And luckily, he said, yes, many people have woken up in this hall, in this very hall that you're in. So just one was enough for me. Uh, So I continued to practice. And hopefully you have that aspiration to wake up, but we have to hold it lightly. Interestingly enough, though, not everyone has the aspiration to wake up, and it's okay if you don't. But we want to have more aspiration than maybe the majority of people that practice mindfulness. a friend of mine, uh, Sumi, who used to live at the study center, she sent me an email. She says, well, Buddhism in America watchers, I've been waiting for the moment when it's clear that mindfulness practice has finally hit the mainstream. And that moment has arrived. I received Parent Magazine, Parents Magazine, which targets as its readership the perfectly average middle-income middle American mom. That would be me, she says. And I found this on page 52 of the July 2009 issue. It's called Zen Bedroom Benefits. (laughs) According to a new study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, women who practice mindfulness, sorry guys, but it was focused on women, being present and focused in the moment report better sexual experiences. To reap the reward, study author Lori Buto, PhD, recommends taking a minute each day to pay attention to the sensations you're experiencing. For example, as you're eating lunch, consider how it feels to sip and swallow. (laughs) Doing this regularly should help you, so to speak, turn on at other times, too. (laughs) And Sumi writes, I chuckle at the thought that sometimes new ideas reach a general audience through the vector of sexuality. (laughs) So not everybody is aspiring for awakening. (laughs) but you can (laughs) or you can maybe have that and awakening so so the thing about this path is you know the fact that you're not just reading parents magazine that you're here this is important because what you start when you come on retreat, Trunk Rinpoche used to say, you know, better to leave now because what you start, you have to finish. And you've started something by coming here. And even if you leave and never come back, you will have started something that will finish itself eventually. It will finish you. So that's the good news. <laughs> <laughs> how to let yourself be finished. 
Uh, Joseph Goldstein once said it, it's like raising your hand. If you put your hand in the air, eventually your hand is going to fall. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Last year, Anushka talked about gravity. So it's just eventually your hand's just going to drop. Eventually you will be finished with this process you've started of waking up to your true nature. Eventually it will finish. This process uh, isn't yours. And one thing I'd like to share is, you know, it's, uh, teachers like to share the mistakes that they made. So for to the tune of about 15, 20 years, I made the mistake of thinking that my desire to be free came from me and that it belonged to me and it was my yearning for awakening because I had a very strong yearning to be free. There was a lot of suffering in my life as a child. And I thought that yearning was mine. But what if your yearning to be free, what if what brought you here wasn't yours, but it came from life itself? How would that be? How would we hold that challenge to wake up in a different way if it wasn't ours, if it was just life wanting to be free through us? So you might ask yourself, well, what am I doing here coming to retreat? (laughs) Why bother? But, you know, retreats are about making ourselves available to wake up. And I think of waking up a little bit like falling asleep. You know, you you can't, it's hard to fall asleep in the middle of Times Square walking around looking at vendors. You know, you need to have the right conditions to fall asleep, right? You need to go to bed, lay down, close your eyes. And then you create the conditions and then the moment of sleep happens, right? It's not something you can control. So waking up is like this. We create the conditions where we unplug from our devices. We go inside. We stop the talking. All the rules that we've created here that some of you like and don't like, we create the conditions so that you can fall awake, so that you can be available when this moment where your mind sees through itself. And actually, it doesn't happen through the mind, but there's a seeing through. Some of the conditions that can allow us to fall awake are what's called the seven factors of enlightenment. The first factor is mindfulness, and there's also investigation or curiosity, energy, rapture or a natural kind of joyfulness, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. These are the factors that when they come into balance, the mind can open to its true nature. And it's interesting in these seven factors because they are a combination of, of energetic states and calm states. So like rapture, joy, energy, investigation combined with tranquility, equanimity. And mindfulness balances all of them. That's why we teach it here, because mindfulness helps balance all the seven factors of enlightenment so you can wake up. 
And it's said that when all the factors of enlightenment are balanced, that we go through one of three doors of awakening, that we're pulled to understand the truth of life through either the door of suffering, the door of impermanence, or the door of no-self. And I'm not going to go into this a lot because it's, it's its own talk, but just knowing that there's these kind of portals in which we can see the truth. So if you're having a lot of suffering, you know, this is a door to awakening. This is why teachers get excited when you're having suffering. Not that, you know, <laughs> we want you to have suffering, <laughs> but there's, there's a possibility of, of seeing through to the truth of the end of suffering. And this is what the Buddha teaching ta- taught. I taught suffering and the end of suffering. So what is an awakening insight? You know, how is it different than any other insight you might have? An awakening insight is an insight where an essential core shift happens in the way you, un- you see and relate to your sense of self. It's a releasing of the clinging to me and mine and I. So as before, we were like wedded to the sense of self. There's a release of that. We might still encounter and engage in the sense of self, but the illusion has been cut. So we might still pick up the sense of self like we would put on some clothing. But you, don't, you, know, you put on these clothes, but you don't say, I am my blue jeans. Well, hopefully you don't. <laughs> you wear them. You wear a certain, a certain thoughts, a sense of self. But you don't cling to it. And one teacher describes it like an unhooking. So like, you know, your two fingers are hooked. They're wetted to this idea, this is me, this is who I am, my name's Amita, my name's Chaz. And eventually there's an unhooking. And you might still pick back up this sense of self when it's useful. When someone calls your name, you'll still turn around. You know, when somebody called the Buddha's name, he still turned around. Hey, Buddha, (laughs) you (laughs) turned around. (laughs) But you're not wedded to it. You can pick it up and leave it. There are stories of people describing enlightenment experiences, uh, Three Pillars of Zen, I I think, I read it a long time ago, it has a number of stories. And when I was writing a book about Deepama, uh, a lot of people told stories of waking up with her, and so there's actually a chapter in there about enlightenment stories, things that happen to people. And some things people say is uh, like something shuts off for a brief moment, like a machine, the refrigerator stopping, Something gets erased, something got reversed, being outside of the mind. Uh, one woman, Deepa Mazni, said, something went wrong, she said. <laughs> that was all how she was able to describe it. And usually, you know, with this moment, not to set up, you know, a craving for it, but it's, it's always a surprise. It's, n- it's not an expected, it's nothing you, would, you can ever think Whatever your thoughts are about it, that's not it. (laughs) And it's just a split second. 
just where the mind sees beyond, the, there's the knowing beyond mind. And again, you know, words really can't describe it because it's not about words. But then, immediately after a split second, mind rushes back in and the ego starts to claim the experience. I had an insight, and you can see that with any insight. I had an insight, and that's a really good one, and that's important. <laughs> and now I'm, and now I'm going to be more serene and a cooler yogi because of it. <laughs> so watch, you know, watch when for an insight, any insight, the mind comes back in and tries to maintain it and write about it, which is okay. But know that anytime we've had an insight, no matter what kind it is, we've been changed on a cellular level already. So whatever you write about it is extra credit. It's best just to, whatever you experience, to let it go. Begin right now. Holding on to insights, any insights, is extremely painful, eventually. So there's a question also a lot of people ask, well, is awakening gradual or sudden? And uh, the answer is both, which I know Vipassana teachers always answer in these kind of convoluted no answers. (laughs) 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 The answer is both because, you know, like the unhooking process, right? So what's happening is we're loosening the grip. You're just loosening the grip by practice, by coming here, by seeing, oh, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not my emotions. You start to loosen the grip, and it loosens enough that it finally lets go. I have one of these um, Chinese uh, finger tricks where you put your fingers in this little um, toy, and the harder you pull, you can't get your fingers out and you can only get your fingers out by loosening, relaxing. And one of my teachers says that, you know, part of this gradual and the sudden, that even after we might have a life-changing insight, one that cuts through that illusion of self, it can take, he believes it can take 10 years to learn to embody it. <laughs> so that's gradual. And there's, he believes that you, know, you, can, you can know something, but it, it can take the 10 years to move from your, from your head to your heart to your gut, your gut where you're fully living it. That's why you can see some people, they can have what might be a deep insight, and they can still be kind of a jerk. (laughs) They're still learning. Mm. So the thing to know about awakening or waking up is it's not adding anything to who you are. It's not about making a better version of you. The Buddha said when he woke up, enlightenment didn't add one thing. So as you can see, you know, unhooking doesn't add anything, does it? 
because there's nothing there to begin with that we need to add to. Even though the ego tries to co-opt all our insights as something, you know, who we are. And this idea that it it doesn't add anything. um, I have two godsons on this retreat, and um, their mother told me a story about them when they were... uh, their native country, well, their parents' native country is Germany, and when they were young, they were flying over to Germany, and they were flying over Europe, and um, the oldest one looked out the window, and his mother said, look, we're flying, this is where the border of Germany and Poland is. And um, he got really angry. He said, what do you mean this is the border of Germany, Poland? He said, there should be a line. There, where's the line, Mom? <laughs> and his mom's like, well, no, there's not really a line between these countries. I know you've seen it on the map, but it's just we made that up. We made the line up. And he was just really mad for a long time. <laughs> and he just couldn't get it out of his head, and he felt tricked and lied to. Like, what do you mean there's not a line there? So we create these lines, the line of ego, the line of who we think we are. A further example, visual aid here. Sorry. No, it's okay. So. These are different things that, this is, you know, you, right? This is, um, <laughs> this is the student you, and this is the, you know, son or daughter, and maybe you're a parent or, you know, stu- you know something else. <laughs> aunt, aunt, uncle, you know, whatever, whatever your roles are, whatever your thoughts are about yourself. So how do we get to awakeness from here? You know, there's these, we have these clouds, and how do you get back to this background, this core of who you are? So you just take away the lines. Just take away each line. That's all we're doing like the line between Germany and Poland (laughs) that never really existed. Anyways, the line of yourself. That's what we're doing here. That doesn't mean those lines didn't have validity and they're not useful, but that's how you get back to this. So we make up these lines, and what we make up can get unmade, can be unmade. So 
So one way to unmake these lines, to do this gradual path of unmaking, unhooking, however you want to look at it, is to look at the story maker itself. That's like the ultimate cloud on that board. You know, who's the one that's chattering away? Who's the narrator? Who's the one that creates it all? And you know what's really interesting is the story maker never gets to the end of the story. <laughs> never. Or as they say in Hawaiian, never. <laughs> you know, you can be in the middle of awesome <laughs> and your mind's like, oh, what's next? <laughs> My goddaughter who was in Hawaii near us, um, we were swimming with dolphins the other day, and she goes, you know, I was in the middle of swimming with dolphins, and I thought, I hope one like comes up next to me and I can ride on its back. <laughs> Just like the mind is never satisfied. You know, or I'll go down to, I mean, it's great living there because you get to see, I mean, you're in the, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And, you know, I'll go down to, one of the most beautiful beaches in the world and I'll get in the water and I'll be enjoying it was just so beautiful and then the mind will go maybe you should have gone for a hike up the mountain <laughs> <laughs> maybe this isn't the best thing to do right now and it just goes to show that our mind doesn't know what it wants the story maker doesn't know what it wants it just keeps going and going and going if you've never seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction, it, it's worth getting. It's a great Dharma movie about the storyteller. This guy, is, his life is being narrated by this famous um, author. <laughs> and he just gets to watch it play out. And you know, in daily life, we can watch that story maker too. It just, it never gets to the end of the story. You know, you write one book and then somebody immediately says to you, well, when's your next book? Are you, you know, have a kid? I mean, I have my friends have had children, and they say, well, I need to have another one. <laughs> <laughs> or you get your PhD, and you have your celebration party, and then what's next? Everyone wants to know what's next. So starting to see that, you know, one way this path is gradual waking up that eventually can lead to this falling into seeing through the sense of self, is seeing that the story maker, it just never has an end. Sometimes you can catch when you wake up really early in the morning, um, right before your mind kicks in, you can catch that moment before the story maker starts. You guys have enough concentration, you might be able to see it. It's great to just watch it start and go da 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 all day. <laughs> Doesn't end once it starts. But it's good to see that moment before it actually kicks in. It's a really quick moment. You can also see how, you know, you collect your thoughts. You know, we, we like create altars of our thoughts. Uh, about a month ago, um, there, as many of you um, probably have experienced, there's a lot of 
you know, homeless people around in our culture. And um, there's one particular man on Maui that uh, he has this cart that he keeps pulling around and it's very hot there and he's he's always like bent over and I've been realizing like his body's really getting kind of um, really maladjusted from pulling this cart and um, but I'd never really seen him except you know driving by and one day I was pumping gas and uh, I was you know when you're pumping gas you're kind of looking around and he came by me with his cart I mean like right near me and I was just kind of curious, well, what does he have in that cart that he's like deforming his body for? And, you know, this, I, I figured, you know, it would be clothing and food and stuff. And I looked in the cart and there was just, there was like a, a piece of dryer hose and plastic tubing and palm fronds and just very bizarre things that had no ability to like help him survive. And I thought, well, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Does he know that those things in his cart <laughs> are useless? <laughs> and then I thought, hmm, <laughs> what am I carrying around in my cart <laughs> up here? <laughs> it was like, oh yeah. And you know, if I told him, I said, those things in your cart, they've got no usefulness, he would, he would defend it. Just as I would defend whatever stories or thoughts I carry around. And I thought, well, there's something to be learned in this about letting go and you know how we how we really um, hurt ourselves physically mentally by pulling this weight that really uh, doesn't really doesn't have anything for us empty it's empty so uh, one more way you can unwind uh, this sense of self and you know leading to this gradual part of the path of unhooking unwinding is start to look at the context of your thoughts versus the content looking at your being with the content of your mind is a lot like trying to keep frogs in a bowl you know you watch one thought and the next jumps out and then you with the next thought another one jumps out it's just your mind is like frogs trying to keep them in a bowl just constantly jumping out so start to look at the context of which all thoughts are happening in kind of like looking at the white of the board versus the clouds what is it that all thoughts arise out of and cease into? Start to know that. The last thing I wanted to say is that uh, whatever you think about awakening, the interesting thing, or whatever you experience, good, bad, great things here, negative things, you always come back to here now, don't you? Have you ever noticed that? That the one thing you can guarantee is you will be here now. <laughs> kind of like a bungee cord whoosh, brings you back. 
even when we wander off for a long time or get lost in planning, we, we come back to here now. So there's something to be said about that. There's something to be looked at here when we, we it's a gradual path with a moment where we wake up, but it comes back to here now always. So here now is where we start, here now is where we end. So you make the aspiration, but then everything happens here now. Everything returns to here now. One thing I've been asking myself lately when I feel I want to be more awake, I want to have deeper insight, I want to wake up more. I say, waking up from what? When you think, I want to wake up, what is it you want to wake up from? What is so wrong about this moment that it's not okay just as it is? And just come back to that. Michelle McDonald once said in a retreat, uh, there's no difference between full, full enlightenment and complete acceptance. Same thing. So if there was complete acceptance of this now, this would be fully awake. This is fully awake. The Buddha said I not, that, to, that we should not long for this world nor another. So where does that leave you? <laughs> it's a great little teaching koan. We can't long for this world and we can't long for another. It's kind of like a bardo, isn't it? And a daily life practice that I do with this is I look at every day this tendency to wish things were different, which is a little bit like, what am I trying to wake up from? So you can look at that, like when you have a moment of joy or peace or concentration and it goes, and it will go, everything comes and goes in your bungee cord back to now. Is there a wishing things were different? Because in the end, it's just a hundred percent life happening now. No matter what you're in, it's a hundred percent life happening now. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, this is where the awakeness converges with where you are now. It's not a moment in the future. It is 100% life happening right now. Nothing to wake up from, just here.
The aspiration converges with what is. So, do we have a song? No. Okay. <laughs> I was going to play a song for you, but so we get to sit instead. So let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.